Have you ever thought this? Thought. When Jesus came to earth and walked on earth, he never doubted who he was, what he'd come to do, and he never once, not once, did he try to fight the devil. Not once. How about that? The reason he didn't bother to fight the devil is he knew he already had total authority over him. The scribes and the Pharisees said, this man speaketh of one that hath authority. With them it was ritualism, it was paganism, it was trying to do this and that to get victory. But with Christ, hey, he knew he was King of kings and Lord of lords. He knew who he was. And there is no place in scripture which even suggests for one moment, now the devil came with lies and tried to con him out of his position. Well, you know, I've got authority. He hadn't. God never ever, if every angel in heaven had rebelled against God, they couldn't have won. If every being had rebelled against God, they couldn't win. Because life flowed from him who sat on the throne. And without his power and without his life, there was no life. You know that, that God is in control of everything. Whatever you might believe, God's in control. He never lost control of anything. Jesus Christ. Always been King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's why Moses, you know, the devil's problem was that always he could see a deliverer arising. And when Moses was born, he said, we've got a problem. We've got to cut this Moses off before he gets a chance. So he, he got a, one of his servants to kill all the male children. When Jesus came to earth, the devil was in problem. He thought, how can I snuff this out? He can't. God just sent an angel along, tell, tell Joseph, time to move on. When that problem was over, he said, time to go back. My God is in control of everything. And is in control of your life. Huh? Faith is about faith in God, not faith in the devil. I, I never believe the devil's going to do anything. I believe God is almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent. Hope you believe that. Hope you're a person of faith rather than a person of fit. Oh, you know, the devil. Fooey. God's almighty. Almighty means he has all might, all authority, all power, and is omnipotent. And he always has been, always will be. And when Jesus came to earth, though he took on the form of a man, I want to tell you, he was still God. He couldn't die till he dismissed his spirit. Otherwise, there was no way he could die. 
He had to dismiss his own spirit. Devil didn't get him. The cross didn't get him. Calvary didn't get him. He chose to taste death for you and for me. His choice. That's it. Uh, it wasn't Judas Iscariot that won a great victory. It wasn't anything to do with that. In fact, um, Jesus said to Judas, what you're going to do, go do. He sent him on his way. He could have stopped him right there and then. When they arrested him, he said, look, don't you know I've got authority. I could call legions of angels up to help me. Why'd you come out against me? With an army. I can do what I want. That's my God. Hope you always understand that. In life, don't ever get this idea that somehow we're fighting a battle. There is no battle. It's over. Jesus conquered. Every demon, every devil, every principality and every power is over all. Now what is our position? Well our position is quite interesting. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 8. You need a good authorized version of the Bible. No perversion. Um, in Hebrews chapter 8 Hebrews chapter 8. Now. Verse 1. Now. When? Now. now. Of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Or the chief point. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Now he says this is the sum of everything. There's a final point. You've got to understand. We have a high priest who's set down on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary. And of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. One of the nice things about uh, scripture is to remember when Moses went up into the mountain he received from God a pattern for building the tabernacle. And that pattern for building the tabernacle was set in heaven. And I want to spend some time over the next uh, month or two talking about the tabernacle of Moses. Well, I want to tell you that the picture of the tabernacle of Moses is a picture of redemption. And one of the things that occurred to me, I, I was thinking about it, and um, 
When you think, with Moses, when he set up the tabernacle, and he went into the heavens, and he looked, and he saw a picture of everything, and then he came down, and, and God instructed him how to build it, and he set men to build it. Do you know the one thing missing out of the tabernacle? One thing, there was the mercy seat, there was the showbread um, beneath it, and the law, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the manner rather, and the law. But do you know what was missing? Ever think what was missing? Out of the tabernacle. There was nothing to fight the devil with. There was something to deal with sin. It was called the brazen altar. Where the sacrifice, but there was nothing to fight. It was sin that was the problem. Man's problem's always been sin. Never has been the devil. You do understand that. The devil isn't the problem, sin is the problem. And when you go into heaven, you'll be amazed that God is not a bit concerned with the devil. Never was. And Moses, when he went up in the heaven, this is pre-Calvary, and he began to see the pattern in the heavens, what was the devil to do with it? Nothing. The only question was sin. You see, your problem in life is not to do with the devil. Your problem in life is who you submit yourself to. His servants you are, whom you obey. Whether of sin unto death. Do you remember in Romans? You don't yield your members, servants, to obey. Romans chapter 6. It depends who you're submitting yourself to. Are you submitting yourself to the word of God or the lies of the enemy? Now the enemy wants to create some impression that he's got power, authority. He hasn't got any. He wants to give you the impression that somehow there's a warfare going on. I want to tell you the warfare is accomplished. It's over. And the only reason you live with a struggle in your life is you have no understanding of Christianity and true redemption. So you fight all the time. Now you fight out of ignorance. And Christianity is to do with education. The reason people struggle and fight is ignorance. Plain ignorance. A lot of people get caught up with ignorance. Uh, but it's education that's important. You see, Paul, when he wrote to the Ephesian church, he said, look, it's your understanding that needs to be enlightened. When he wrote to the Hebrews, he said, you, you know, you need to be taught again what are the first principles of the oracles of God. You need to be taught. You, you need to understand what God has done for you. You need to understand and embrace 
the truth of the new covenant. What you don't need to do is get bogged down with a nonsense of apologizing for all your problems and saying, well, it's the devil and we've got to struggle. If you're struggling, it's because you're not a Christian. Get born again. Get regenerate. L listen to what Jesus said in John um, chapter 17. I got stirred up by the song, you know, with Lord's triumph gloriously. Horse and the riders trying You know, when God spoke to Moses, he said, you'll see the enemy no more forever. I, I can't believe Christians always got a devil in their perspective. You know, get it out. That's why we cast devils out. You cast them out of people's minds, you know. Truth sets you free. You want it out of your life. Huh. Hey, it's good to know that God's in control. There's nothing that God hasn't done already for us. And all we have to do is start to live in it. Simple. Uh, for those that know. As the Yorkshiremen say, them that knows, knows. Uh, John chapter 17. Now here is pre-Calvary. Pre-Calvary. Alright? Do understand. This is pre-Calvary. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. Now I didn't write them. I just happened to believe him. He says this, These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee. As thou hast given him a struggle over the flesh. Is that what it says? What does it say? Power over. Over what? Would that include your flesh? It sure would. Power over all flesh. Huh. You know, I've, I find people think that somehow the flesh is a problem. The flesh isn't a problem. You see, Jesus has power over all flesh. That he should give eternal life, that's the quality of life, to as many as thou hast given him. Not to everyone, to a, but to as many as thou hast given him. I, I'm one of these people who doesn't believe I'm going to save the world. I don't go out to save the world. I, I'm not interested in saving the world. I don't believe in saving the world. I want to see those saved who God has given us. That's it. I know there's some people who just aren't going to get saved. Uh, it doesn't matter how much you pray, how much you cajole, or how much you waste your time trying to talk to them, there are some people that are never going to get saved. Jesus did not believe 
that everyone would get saved. He had all power, he had all authority, and when he prayed to Father, he said, well, you know, I've come to give eternal life to those you've given me. That's it. In other words, I'm subservient to the will of God. Would to God Christians understood that today and stopped their nonsense. That he should give eternal life to how many? As many as thou hast given him. That's one of the things about a church. I'm not interested in having a mega church. What I'm interested in is those that God has given me and those that God wants to save. They're the only ones I'm interested in. As for the rest, forget it. It's not my business. You know, there, there are those who I, I'll, I'll have nothing to do with. Select group. Uh, Jesus had a select group. If you don't like that, complain to God the Father and tell him you think it's unfair. Uh, you won't get anywhere with the complaint, but it might make you feel better if you're humanistic and you believe that you know better than God. I would suggest that you probably don't. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, Jesus, when he said, I've finished the work you gave me to do, what was the work he he was given of God the Father to do. Well, I'll tell you what it was. He gave eternal life to who? Hmm? To as many as God the Father gave him. He revealed God the Father to humanity. He walked and he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law and the prophets. He did everything he was told to do. So when he said, I've finished the work, he'd finished his earthly mission and he'd finished what he came to do. There was Calvary waiting. But what he was saying is, I've done what you told me to do. What I heard you speak, that I spoke. What I saw you do, that I did. You see, God the Father has always been in control. There has never been a day or a moment or a second when the devil has had any supremacy, power, authority above God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Ghost. And I think it's blasphemy to turn around and suggest that somehow spirits rule this world. They don't. This world exists by the power of his word and his word alone. God is almighty. God is omnipotent. And the scripture makes it plain. I love it. You know, I can rest at night knowing the devil's not going to get me. Why? 
My God is in control. That's it. You know, of your life, God's in control. Who controls it? God. Do you know he's given his angels charge over you lest you dash your foot against a stone? Doesn't say anything about kicking the leg of the bed at night. But he's, he's looking after you. Do you know God's numbered every hair on your head? As I get older, he has less to do. But every hair on your head is numbered. Jesus said, don't you know you're more precious than the sparrow? Don't you know everything in your life is in my hand? Don't you know there's not one moment in your life that I haven't taken care of? My God is a good God. <laughs> he's a good God and he loves me. And he loves you. And he's caring for every moment of our lives. There is nothing we need fear. Nothing. We're a fearless people. Why? God is our source. And if you haven't come to that place of faith, you live with fear of what's going to happen. Well, 10,000 might fall at your side, but it's not coming near you. Why? God's on my side. I believe it. Does it mean there are no trials in life? Oh, there are trials in life. Yeah, the devil tries and fails. It's called trials in life. He's defeated. And no angel, no principality, no power can separate me or you from the love of God. Paul said so. Neither things present nor things to come can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can. Hey, God so loves us and has so made provision for us that there is nothing that can stop us from being what God wants us to be. The only way that can stop is if you decide you're going to rebel against God. And I want to tell you, when you decide you're going to rebel against God, it isn't going to work. Because he'll get you in the end. Because God has ways of making every circumstance turn out that in the end, you'll submit to him. If you're one of his, you're knackered now. You might as well just face it. God will get you. That's why I love things like... The, the poem of the hound of heaven you, you can run as far as you like God will get you if you're one of his and you're destined there's no way you're going to escape Paul tried tried to wipe out the church ended up flat on his face saying who art thou Lord He said he persecuted the church of God above his brethren. Now lots of people try to get away. Old Samson tried to get away. 
Got messed up with Delilah. Got him bother. But in the end, God got him chained and blind. But you know, in his death, he killed more Philistines than he did in his life. And you, when you look at the way God is, God is always in charge. The, the, the idea that somehow we're fighting. We're not fighting, we're triumphant. It's church triumphant. Like a mighty army moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where the saints have trod. You know, it's a mighty army. And people want to know. They want to know. They want to know all about angels. They want to know about mysteries and stuff. Well, I tell you, I'm not that interested. I'm happy. I know about my Jesus. And he's wonderful. And the angels are ministering spirits sent to serve the sons of God. But I'm not interested. I don't want to know what their names are. I've got a guardian angel. And I kept him fully employed in my early life. You know, I, I mean, God kept me. God's kept you. That's why you're here. But frankly, it, it just happens, you know. How does God work everything? Ah, I haven't got a clue. I don't really care. I'm a man of faith. I just know he'll do it. Uh, and whatever he tells me to do, that I'll do. That's it. And, and that's the way to live as a Christian. Don't, don't get all tied up. Um, turn with me to John 19, verse 30. Look. John 19. Verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He had to give up his spirit. With no way his spirit would leave him. He was eternal. Almighty God. He said, it's finished. Now, what was finished? Well, I'll tell you what was finished. The substitution of him for you. That was finished. In other words, Jesus took your sin and my sin into his body on Calvary. He took your diseases and he said on Calvary's tree, what, before he gave up the ghost, he said, it is finished. Now, that side of it was complete. It wasn't all finished because he had to go uh, ascend from the dead, uh, go into heaven and present the blood to God the Father to make atonement for you and me once and for all. Every sin, every misdeed, every disease, every sickness dealt with forever. When he ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and that's the end of it. It's done. And Jesus has never ever had to fight again. He's never had to struggle again. He's never had to atone again. It was done once and for all. Wonderful. 
But you see, there's three times he said it finished in different phases of his life. His earthly ministry was finished. I've accomplished what you sent me to do. Then, on Calvary, sin was finished because he became the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. That's finished. And when he ascended into heaven and presented the blood, he became my advocate, he became my high priest, he became everything I need and that's it and he sat down and he said it's all done everything that you need of God has already been done it's already settled it can't be undone it's eternal it's outside of time and you can live in the fullness of it this day by believing what God has done for you it's as simple as that. He's not coming to do anything else. He's done it all. And when he sent forth the Holy Spirit, he said this Holy Spirit, when he comes, he'll bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I've said unto you. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to get people to remember the truth, to hear the truth, and to walk in the truth. And when you do that, you walk in freedom. It's not an experience, it's a reality. But before you can have that reality, you must be born again. You must be regenerate. You must have the life of God. Now, let me explain something. I was thinking on this, and it's probably something that needs explaining. There is no way that sanctification is a process. That's blasphemy. Jesus Christ is my sanctification, all right? He is my redemption. That's what the Bible says. Now, let me explain it to you. Sim well, the Bible will explain it to you better. Um, see, when the old covenant ended... A new covenant came in. You'll find it in Luke 22. Look, let's look in Luke. Or Luke in Luke. 22. Verse 20 says, likewise, after, or likewise also the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, new covenant in my blood. That's what it is. And the new covenant is to do with something totally new. And what you have to understand is you'll find the same thing over in Matthew chapter 3. Go to Matthew chapter 3. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well 
pleased. Amen? God was well pleased with his son, God the Father, well pleased with his son. Do you know, the, it was in Jesus' blood, the new covenant was always in his blood. He came to fulfill the old and pour out the new. And he poured out the new on Calvary's tree when he shed his precious blood for you and me. And when he went into heaven, he established the new covenant on earth because he sent forth the Holy Spirit and it began the new birth. But, but there's a very important thing to understand. And I think it's where most Christians get it wrong. You see, there's a lot of Christians who have the idea that God is changing them. And somehow, God has got to transform them. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says that you must be born again and you become a new creation in Christ. God is not interested with it transforming your nature, that's your human nature, God is interested in you becoming a partaker of his nature. You become a partaker of the divine nature. You see, human nature can never be sufficient to live a Christian life. You have to become a partaker of the nature of Jesus Christ. And the problem is, if you struggle to change your life, and you struggle to be what you think you ought to be, you live under legalism and law. And you end up with condemnation, and you end up saying, oh, well, what I would not, that I do. And it, it becomes a terrible struggle. But that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about new birth. A new birth, new nature, new life, um, you'll find in Corinthians where it talks about it, it says this, look, if any man be in Christ is a new creation, all things are passed away, all things have become new, and all things are of God. You see, it's the God nature that makes me a Christian, not me being transformed. Now, you have to be transformed in your mind. And your mind is where truth has to come. And you have to have the eyes of your understanding enlightened. And it's by the Spirit of God, His Spirit revealing the things of God to you, that's the truths of God's Word, your mind is transformed. And it's a matter of educating your mind into the reality of the truth of God. I was speaking with my wife, she was looking at what she'd do for a, um, her D-min. A doctor of ministry, she's doing that. And I said to her, what you need to do is education. And she said, there's nothing in the New Testament about education except a couple of scriptures. I said, don't be silly. The whole of the New Testament's full of education. I mean, what Christ did for three years was educate his disciples. What Paul spoke about in the Pauline doctrine when he wrote to the churches, it was education. He was saying, hey men, you've got to understand it from God's perspective. You see, every truth has got to be seen from God's perspective. The trouble with the world is we've compartmentalized things and we think, well, this bit is secular, that's secular education, this is Christian education. No, everything 
It's from God's perspective. You see, he created heaven and earth and everything that dwells in there. Morality comes from God. The values of life come from God. Everything must be taken in accordance with God's word. The foundation of life and the foundation of everything is God. So if I don't r relate everything to the foundation, then I'm going to build on wood, hay and stubble. And on a false foundation, and when the winds blow, down it'll come. In life, in business, in whatever you do, you must always have the principles of God as your foundation. Then you'll stand sure when troubles come and trials come, nothing will move you. But if you have the idea of a secular life and a Christian life, you're doomed to failure. Is that plain? Is that plain? See, the only thing that succeeds... I love what Oral Roberts said, and if you weren't here on Friday, I showed the video of the um, uh, commencement, you know, the uh, graduation, and uh, you need to order a copy of that video uh, of what Oral Roberts said, and you need to listen to it over and over till it gets in your mind. One of the things he said that I love is, you know, education, when, when he was wanting accreditation for the university, or Roberts University in America. He asked one question, he was asked one question of the people, he said, well, what about Darwin's theory? He said, well, Darwin's theory is a theory of evolution. We believe in the theory of creation. Difference is, we believe it lock, stock and barrel. No one's ever proved evolution, it's just a theory of Darwin who denied it. But the real thing is this, he said to the people, he said, if you say you've got to have the freedom to teach evolution and the theory of evolution, you've got to allow the Christian the freedom to teach creation. Otherwise you're unequal. I, and I believe in creation. I, I just don't believe that you could evolve from a jellyfish. I just don't. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Look, look at what the writer to Hebrews said. And don't want to enter into a dispute of who wrote it. Now in my mind, it's always been Paul. And in Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore fear. What are we to do? What are we to fear? What are we to fear? Lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now, please understand this. It doesn't say will come short of it. What does it say? Seem to. In other words, 
It's only going to be a lie. It'll seem that you've come short of... If you're born again and you've partaken of the divine nature, I want to tell you, the only way it'll seem to have come short of that, of entering into his rest, is the fact that you don't understand the redemption you have and therefore your lifestyle will make it as though you seem to come short of it. But the truth is you haven't. And when the truth enters your heart and you begin to believe it and walk in it and live in it, you'll discover that you never came short of it one inch. You just didn't live in the benefit of it. Because you believed a lie. And that's the problem with people. You seem to come short of it. It's not true. It's just an apparent appearance. I find a lot of people that they, they come... When I pray for the sick sometimes, I preached over in America um, at a church, Lakewood Church, and I heard from Tom Matthew saying how wonderful it was that the um, miracles, remarkable miracles that happened there. But often when I pray for people, it would seem that nothing's happened. By the time they get home, they find the miracles happen and they're completely healed. Or the next day they find all their disease is gone. Well, it would seem that they'd come short of it till the point where they realize, hey, and very often when I'm preaching and people come out the front and are music and miracles, they say, I say, what's wrong with you? And they say, well, I can't lift my arm. I say, well, just lift it up. And they lift it up and they realize they'd already been healed. See, they seem to come short. And there's a lot of people that because they don't appropriate what's already given to them, they think they haven't got it. You seem to come short. You haven't come short of it. You can't come short of what God's given you. You got it. When God does it, it is done. Now, you might believe the lie and you might be full of questionings, but the truth is what God has done is done. It's finished. It's accomplished. <laughs> What God set himself to do, he, he always succeeds. There's no devil or demon, there's no power on earth or heaven that can stop him doing what he wants to do. Hey, if he wanted to change history, he said, I'll just call up these legions of angels, don't worry. Hey, Peter, put up your sword, don't you understand? I, you know... The devil doesn't control history, I do. <laughs> Peter, it's got to be this way. Just stop it, Peter. And he stuck the ear back on the centurion. He said, come on, Peter. You're misunderstanding things. You see, we have this concept in our minds and our hearts that somehow God isn't in control, but the truth is he's in control of everything. Do you know, he's spoken in the book about the end of the world. And he's spoken about things that are going to happen. And at the beginning in the garden, he told um, Adam that the woman's seed was going to bruise the serpent's head. It was all planned. 
In the fullness of time, Jesus came. There is nothing that has ever happened that has caught God by surprise. He's in control. There nothing can happen outside of his perfect will. He controls everything. And that's the wonder of it. I find a lot of people, they, they live in fear, you know, maybe, maybe this will happen, maybe that will happen. No, it won't. God is totally in control. Let us fear lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest. Do you know entering into rest means you cease from your own works as God did from his? And look at this. Um, Verse 3, for we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I've sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished, when? From the foundation of the world. Do you know, from the foundation of the world, it was all secure. That, that's the beautiful thing. Christians live in a different realm. We live in the supernatural realm. Now the natural man, he, he, he's in fear. His heart will fail him for fear. But the spiritual man, he knows his God is in control. Sometimes it might not appear that way, but that doesn't faze me and it shouldn't faze you. God's almighty. Also the rider, he threw into the sea. It's over. Is that plain? Hello? You know, that's faith. My God has given us the victory. He always does. That's what the Bible teaches. I find a lot of people, they feel they better help God. The only purpose in preaching is to educate people's minds to understand how wonderful God is. What we're doing is wanting to tell people, hey, Jesus has done it all. Grow up. In fact, Paul puts it nicely. Um, Hebrews, look at Hebrews chapter 1. First, and then we'll go to Paul. Okay, Hebrews chapter 1. <clears throat> Says this, God, who in sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, do understand this. When did he speak by the prophets? In times past. I wonder, you know, the prophets that rise up today and try and tell us they know everything, I'm not so sure. Hath, when, in these last days, spoken unto us how? By his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory 
and the express image of his person and upholding, upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Glory to God. What did he do? He sat down. But what did he do first? Purged our doesn't mention he overcame the devil. I mean, what the devil got to do with it? Devil's a liar. Fallen angel. Nothing more. All right? Hello, you understand what I'm saying? want you to get new covenant thinking in your mind not Old Testament new covenant understand Jesus Jesus had the right perspective <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians 3 Paul, he had to write to the Corinthian church and he said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as to baby in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet are you now able. For you are yet carnal, for where is, whereas there is among you envyings and strife and division. Yeah, you met people like that. In verse, um, verse 21. Therefore, let no man glory in men. He said, look, get your eyes off men. Get your eyes on the one who does it. His name is Jesus. Don't glory in men. Glory in God. No, no it's God who did it. I, I loved um, what uh, what uh, Oral said. Uh, once again, I'll come back to it. You must buy the tape, order the videotape of the um, graduation. I, I, I tell you, what he said, beautiful. You know, dear old Oral Roberts, one thing his mum, who was a Cherokee Indian, said to him was, son... Keep yourself small in your own eyes. And I think that's so important. Richard uh, Roberts said this, um, which, which I liked. He said, you know, it would have been a travesty if on Palm Sunday, as, as, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the donkey thought that the palm branches was for him. Wouldn't it? And thought the crowds cheering were for him. I mean, they were for Jesus. Jesus, but that's how a lot of donkeys are in the church. They get this idea of grandeur. This idea of being something. Look, 
At best, we can do nothing. Without him, we're totally powerless. But we've become a partaker of his divine nature. He lives in us. It's he who does it. Not me, not you, he. And the life that we lie or live, we live by his faith. I live, nevertheless, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's his life. I've entered into his rest. You know, my Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. And how is Jesus? Why? He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's not fighting. He's not struggling. And we're like him. We've entered into rest. We've stopped struggling. We've stopped striving. We've stopped from our own works. And we've sat down and we've said, thank God for redemption. Body, soul and spirit. Thank God. God has done it all. And I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ. It's over. Devil. Devil? There ain't no devil up here. Demons? I don't see any here. I'm alive in him. He lives in me. I'm new covenant. I'm new. I'm born from above. God lives in me. And that's true for every one of us. That's what Christianity is. It's the reality of Christ in us. Hebrews chapter 5. For when, when for the time, and this is the trouble with the church, when for the time you ought to be, you ought to be, what? Teachers, see? It's all education. You ought to have graduated to teach. It's terrible if you find someone who should be at the front of the class teaching and instead they're sitting in the desk still and they're 40 years old. When you ought to be teachers, you ha have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and have become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use or habit have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith towards God, doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. 
uh, he said, you don't want to keep going back and laying. But you know, the hardest thing is to get people to believe what God's done for them. My dear friend T.L. Osborne, he, he was invited to go and preach at a church and he said to the man he was going to preach at, he said, look, I've only one message to preach. And he said, what's that? And he says, it's on redemption. Uh, and the fellow who's one of the leaders of a big mega church in America said, oh, he said, please preach on the redemption. He said, my people don't know anything about it. But to me, that's fundamental. All I've been talking to you this morning is just fundamental Christianity. And so I want to go on and, and take, um, over the next few weeks, uh, the tabernacle of Moses and show how it's a picture in the heavens. Last time I took it on was 20, 23 years ago. And it ended up as something over 40 tapes, 40 meetings. Uh, and I, I just feel it's time because you can explain things in the eternal. And um, some of our meetings used to go on till I had to push people out the door at two o'clock in the morning. Uh, uh, and, you know, we had a visitation of God in such a tremendous way. Uh, but I, I'm not suggesting we stay that long. I'm old now and a bit smarter. Let's finish, you know. No point in, in prolonging things. You know, people like long meetings. I don't. Get on, do what you've got to do, get it over with, and get on with life. See, life is what you do out of the building, not what you do in it. But we're here to teach. I hope you've learned something this morning. Education is the most important thing. And uh, um, Paul's saying, look, we've got to teach, teach, teach. Do you know when Jesus sent his disciples out, he said, you go, you preach, you preach, you teach, and you heal. Preach, teach, heal. Preach, teach, heal. The whole of life is about teaching. Healing's the end of it. When you stop believing, oh, the devil's doing it, and you start believing in God. Don't give any place to the devil. He's finished. All right? Is that plain? The devil, he threw him into the sea. He says, your enemies, you'll see them no more forever. And you know there'll come a day in your life when you'll stop your nonsense and you'll get your eyes on the victorious Jesus and you'll realize he's vanquished your enemies forever. They're out of the picture. The only question is sin and he's made full provision for it. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you the same and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 